0: Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to uh, preach this morning. I just wanted to say thanks for all the congratulations and nice words that everybody has said over the last couple of weeks and couple of months as I've been going through this process. Um, some of you have asked me over uh, the last couple of weeks and months, because, uh, you know, I started this ordination process in September of last year, and it's a long process to go through all the things and get all the paperwork done. And uh, some of you have said, "Well, what's this all about? What is this? What does this mean? What does this mean for you now?" Um, and sometimes we've been a little rushed in our conversations, and I haven't had the time to uh, really tell you what ordination was all about. So, before I dig into the word this morning, um, give me a few minutes to do that. Uh, tell you what it's all about. Um, in many places in the Bible, we see the Holy Spirit calling. Uh, certain individuals to actively pursue the work of ministry. In Acts 6, we see uh, the disciples choosing people to serve in official offices of ministry. Uh, In Acts 13, we see Paul and Barnabas, and they are set apart by the Holy Spirit, and they dedicate themselves to the work of the ministry. And both instances are marked by the laying on of hands uh, and prayer, that is really what sets uh, these, these instances apart and makes them special. Um, in a sense, these instances were their ordination into the ministry. And it wasn't so much that they were more qualified to do something after they were ordained. It's more about the act of publicly recognizing and affirming the call that God had put on these people's lives. And the ordination process and services for the Assemblies of God continue in that uh, tradition. There's different levels of... Uh, credentials or certifications um, within pastoral ministry, within the Assemblies of God. I was granted my license in 2009 as part of my coursework in Bible college, Um, and I guess you could say, in a sense, I guess that's what qualified me to be a pastor, as much as you could have something that really qualifies you. Um, You know, The biggest thing is that you need the call uh, of God, but it's still good to have education and credentials and accountability, Uh, and so with this license, it enabled me to be able to do pastoral ministry. I could work in churches. I could preach. I could counsel. I can pray for people. Um, I could clean the restroom. Whatever it is that's a part of pastoral ministry, uh, because sometimes it's the things like that that aren't so great and glorious. Whatever it was, uh, I could do it. And so ordination isn't about, say, adding more qualifications to anything so that I can do more things. It's about having a public and spiritual recognition of uh, the call that's on my life, and Katie as well. Um, that we have been called into ministry and that we're doing uh, the work of the ministry. And so at the ordination service a couple weeks ago, uh, we had uh, Presbyter pray for us, lay hands on us. Friends, family, mentors uh, that gathered around us to lay hands on us, again, to continue that biblical tradition and pray for us. And it was a a recognition and affirmation of uh, the call of God being set apart for ministry. Now, some of you have picked up on this set-apart idea, and some of you have picked up on this ordination part, and I've had a couple of people ask me, say, so what does that mean? Does that mean you're going to get assigned to your own church now? (laughs) Uh, And there's some denominations where that happens, but I just want to tell you. Uh, This doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going anywhere. Um, AG churches are are governed a little bit differently. Uh, And again, ordination really isn't about qualifications, and I don't say that to diminish the experience because it was amazing, Um, but it's about the public recognition of the spiritual call uh, and and the dedication that uh, the Lord has built up in my heart to serve uh, in the ministry. And uh, the service a few weeks ago was great and really felt the the anointing and presence of the Holy Spirit, and I know many of you uh, were uh, not able to make the drive, but you were certainly thinking about uh, me and and Katie and praying for us, and we very much uh, appreciate that. So thank you very much. So to move toward the message today, you can go ahead and grab your Bible and turn to Luke chapter number five. Luke chapter number five. Part of this ordination process for me was thinking about my past. I was thinking about where I've come from, why I'm a pastor in the first place, think about and reflect on my initial call to ministry and what that was like. I think about college. I think about the churches and other ministries that I've been able to, to serve over the last 11 or 12 years. Uh, and I'm just so grateful and thankful that God has uh, affirmed and continuously reaffirmed my calling uh, because I know that it's not just some crazy thing I dreamed up. Um, that I was going to be a pastor. I know that it's a divinely appointed thing, and it's a path that's led and directed by God. And if you haven't noticed yet, I've used the phrase, the call, several times uh, in the last few minutes since I started speaking. The call. This is probably one of those Christianese phrases that we use in church all the time, but a lot of people might not really know what I'm talking about. And what I mean by Christianese is this. Think about words like this. Holy, baptism in the Holy Spirit, Uh, What other things can can we put in there? Um, The blood of Jesus, right? We sang about the blood of Jesus today. The presence of God, things like that. Things that if we've been around in the church world for a while, we know what these phrases mean, at least have a basic understanding of them. Uh, But somebody that's on the outside or somebody who's new may not fully understand, and that's okay. We just need to do a better job of explaining things. So let me explain this idea of the call a little bit more. Scripture is full of examples of great men and women Because ministry is not a boys club, just so you know. Men and women that God has specifically called to a certain position of leadership and influence to spread the gospel. And I can't give you an exhaustive list because time doesn't permit, but I think about some characters from the Bible that stick out to me. I think about uh, Moses in the first part of the book of Exodus. You remember the story, the voice of God is calling out to Moses from inside of this burning bush, and Moses turns aside and sees it and, and responds to the call of God's voice from this bush. Not immediately, he's hesitant at the beginning, and he says, no God, not me, uh, but eventually God works in his life, and, and uh, he, he ends up being one of the people that leads Israel um, out of slavery in Egypt, through the desert, and eventually to the land that God had promised them to live in. I think about Joshua as he led the Israelites into the the promised land. I think about the judges, names that you will be familiar with. Gideon, Samson, Deborah, and the others that that God raised up to be leaders. David, anointed as king, was a great leader, a man after God's own heart. Uh, From his bloodline, eventually Jesus would be born. We have a, a, a fantastic illustration of the call in Isaiah. Isaiah has this vision of the Lord, and the Lord says, who will be my messenger? Who will go to the people? And what does Isaiah respond? He says, here I am. Send me And this is, in a sense, this is a calling. And we could look at all the other prophets and kings and leaders throughout the history of Israel. We can look in the New Testament. As I mentioned, Acts chapter 6, the disciples appoint people for ministry. In a sense, it's their calling. Um, I think about Paul, who was called Saul and then turned to Paul when he became a Christian, has this divine encounter with the Lord, and it changes the direction of his life. And I think about where Paul mentions specifically in in Colossians, he says that he's been called to be a minister to make the word of God fully known. So there's all kinds of examples, like I said, not an exhaustive list, all kinds of examples of people dedicating their lives to the ministry, of people that God has spoken to and said, I want to set you apart to use you in this way, all throughout Scripture. I am here today because of people who responded to that call that same call still happens. And I am here, the only reason really that I'm here other than the grace of God is because of people who have responded to the call in their lives. Some of them were full-time pastors and ministers. Some of them were teachers. Some of them were people that Ministry had nothing to do with their regular job and their regular vocation, but they sensed a call to ministry and they recognized the importance of helping other people find Jesus and helping other people grow in their faith, and they poured into my life. A few weeks ago, we had a a great service here at the church where we had several people that came forward and they publicly responded to a call of God on their lives for ministry. And, And they know that You know, God has either spoken to them about specific ministries to be involved in, or at the very least, he's brought them to a a place of recognizing the importance of living out the Great Commission, which is to spread the gospel by making disciples. And here's where I'm getting to today. There's an important truth that I believe God wants us all to grasp, is that everybody is called to ministry. Everybody is called to ministry. I have a call. Pastor Joe has a call. You have a call to ministry. Your call might look different than mine. Maybe you're being called to pastoral work or missionary work. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're being called to be a godly witness to your kids and to your family. Maybe you're being called to minister in your construction job or your maintenance job or your medical job or your receptionist job or your retail job. Maybe you're being called to get involved with a particular ministry organization or a ministry here at the church. Uh, Not necessarily for pay, but as a volunteer. Because you know that God wants to work through you in that particular place. And I think about things like the Open Arm Pregnancy Center. I know they're looking for people to help them. I think about uh, different ministry programs and things that we have around the county that help people out that are in need, things that help in terms of rehabilitation. There's all kinds of places and things, not to mention all the ministries that we have in our church, where you could get involved in making a difference and helping other people find Jesus and helping other people grow in their walk with Jesus. And it's not all about being a pastor or a missionary. Like, there's some sort of top position and status, right? Uh, Believe me, there's nothing super glorious about (laughs) what we do it's not a thing of of position it's not a thing of status if you're called to do pastoral ministry or missionary ministry that's awesome if you're called to be a tent maker somebody that spreads the gospel in the place where you already work that's just as awesome regardless of the situation and, and the differences uh between our our positions the reality and the commission stand that we're all called to do ministry, that we're all called to fulfill the Great Commission, and we're all called to spread the love and truth of Jesus. And today I want to look at a passage of Scripture that really highlights, for me, the call of God, the call to follow Jesus, the call to do ministry. And we're going to see how the call draws us to a greater level of obedience, a greater level of intimacy with the Lord, and a new life of service to Him. So if you have your, your Bibles and you've turned to Luke chapter 5, let me get my ordination Bible that still has crisp pages that can't quite turn. Luke chapter 5, going to start in verse number 1. says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, "'Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord.' For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John's sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, "'Do not be afraid, from now on you will be catching men.'" And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is, for me, an illustration of the call of Jesus on our lives. And this deals specifically with the disciples, but I think it has many lessons for us today as well. In this passage, we find the setting to be uh, the Lake of Gennesaret, or as you may be more familiar with it, the Sea of Galilee. It's a lake in the northern part of Israel, and when we see the Gospels referencing things like fishing or Jesus in a boat or Jesus calming a storm or even Jesus walking on water, it's all taking place on this lake. So hopefully that helps sort of set uh, a scene for you of all the important things that happen around this lake. And the first few verses of this, this passage that we read mention that Jesus has been teaching people, and, and one of the things that... Um, is so awesome when you look at the places where jesus was teaching is the number of people that are around the number of people that follow jesus i think sometimes we get a picture that like jesus and the 12 disciples are just traveling around just by themselves there are massive huge crowds of people that follow jesus um and, and in this particular instance, the crowds are so thick that they're, they're beginning to press in on him. And you can just kind of imagine like Jesus being back towards the shore of the, the lake as he's teaching these people. He, he finds these, these fishermen, um, his disciples, who uh, he has probably already had some interaction with. Uh, and, and they're fishing, and he gets into their boat and begins to teach the people. And when he's finished, we really see... Jesus interactions with the disciples and and this call so let's dig in a little bit unpack this text as we reread some of the verses and and talk about them Uh, And as we do that, we'll go through the three points of the message today. So if you're taking notes, we have three points, uh, and they'll even be on the screen. So we'll start with point number one, the call draws us to a greater level of obedience, right? That's what we're talking about. We're talking about the call of God um, to ministry, the call. Verse number four records that when Jesus had finished speaking to the crowd of people, he turned to Simon and he instructed him to cast his nets um, out for a catch of fish. This is symbolic, I would say, of what the call meant for Peter. It's symbolic of the new level of commitment and obedience that Jesus wants from us, from them, and from us. And here's the here's the the thing behind this, because you know, if you're not a fisherman, and especially if you're not used to doing nets and things, um, what they would do after a day of fishing is their nets would get dirty. Right? I went fishing yesterday, first time I've been fishing since I was like 10. Um, it was awesome. I remembered something though. I remembered that uh, along the edges of ponds and things where you might fish, there's some nasty, green, slimy stuff, uh, plants and things. And you know what I realized is that uh, if if I I dragged the hook or the lure through there when I pulled it up out of the water, it was just covered in grossness, right? <laughs> uh, and I had to like pull it off. You know, uh, it was it was pretty disgusting. Um, these fishermen, when they would throw out their nets, obviously, into the Sea of Galilee, they would get, they would collect all kinds of nasty things from the water, plants, and other things like that, and so they would need to clean them, but they cleaned them usually at the end of the day, after they had already fished, or at, you know, in the morning, if they were fishing all night, um, they clean these things before they pack them and put them away, and basically call it a day. And so here's where the disciples at, they're, they're packing everything up, Peter is packing everything up, cleaning it, getting ready to put it away, and Jesus says, hey, go throw your net out. And think of all the things that Peter could have said, I mean, he, he starts some of it, but think about all the places that he could have gone with this. What do you mean? What are you talking about? Throw my net out, like, can't you see? Like, we're done. We didn't catch anything today. We had a bad day out here on the lake, we didn't catch anything It's just time to just go home. We're not happy. We're going to go home. We're going to rest. We're going to recover. We're going to come at it again the next day. And think about what all the other fishermen that were around could have said. They could have said, seen these people and said, why are you doing that? You didn't catch anything today. You're just going to have to rewash all of these nets and and fold them or prepare them and just do it all again. Like, and you're going to go out there and you're not going to catch anything. But Peter recognizes that there's something about the words of Jesus and he responds uh, to those words, and I think if I could draw a parallel here um, to, to our life, and, and I look at Peter, you know, one thing that, that Peter could have done is that he could have drawn from his previous experience, and he even did that a little bit, he said, hey, we've been out here all day, we haven't caught anything, he says, nevertheless, um, we'll trust your word. So many times, we're tempted to go by our own experiences, and our own knowledge, and our own expectations, instead of trusting in and obeying the things that God speaks to us. And so we say things like this. We say, Jesus, are you crazy? Anybody ever said that? I've said it. I'll admit it. God, are you crazy? There's just no way that this is going to work out. It's pointless. It's a waste of time. I can't do that. I can't share my testimony with that person. I can't pray with this person. They won't be open for it. That's what we always say. The fear of rejection is so big for us. Um, I'm not trained for this. I don't have any skills for that. I can't give that much I can't do this and what we're doing when we say things like this is that we're relying on our own experiences and our own knowledge instead of trusting what God is saying to us and one of the things about following the call is that it drives us to a place of greater obedience Uh, and this is an important thing because God wants to change us he wants to stretch us he wants to use us but we have to be willing to obey what he says if we obey, we can be assured, you know, even in the fearful times, we can be assured that God is with us uh, and that we'll move forward with Him in our faith and our calling. But there's some questions for us to consider this morning. What, is God, what has God been speaking to you that you need to obey? What is holding you back from following Him? Fear? Uncertainty? Uncertainty? your supposed greatest knowledge of everything that's happening, like Peter could have pulled out, said, no way, hey, man, we're done. It's not a good day for fishing. How many times do we say things like that? What are we, what are we, uh, what's holding us back from following him and obedience? And here's the biggest question to ask that, that you know, only the Holy Spirit can answer. What are you missing out on by not obeying? What are we missing out on when God calls us to something and for one reason or another we don't follow with obedience. What are we missing out on? What are other people missing out on when we don't take that step of faith to follow the Lord and to trust Him in obedience? Part of this idea of the call means that it's drawing us to a greater level of obedience and the Lord will continue to reveal things to us that we need to obey. Point number two, the call draws us to a greater level of intimacy. In verse eight, Peter falls to his knees and he says, depart from me, Lord, Because I'm a sinful man. Peter wasn't really necessarily trying to get rid of Jesus and get him to leave. What Peter is really doing is he's recognizing that he's in the presence of God. His obedience to the command of Jesus to cast out his nets and and the following catch of fish shows to Peter that Jesus is the real deal. Can I say that? Jesus is the real deal. And Peter realized how unworthy he was to be in Jesus' presence. And the first time we experience God's presence, it can feel overwhelming to us, Uh, and we can be overcome by the fact that we feel unworthy. Um, But the truth is that, that Jesus, even though we're sinful and he's perfect, he's the only way that we get forgiveness of our sins. It's only through him and acceptance of his gift of salvation that we can be forgiven and freed from the sins that contaminate our lives. And as we grow and we mature in our relationship with him, the more we should be desired to be in his presence and the more we should desire to have conversations with him and and allow him to change and refine our hearts and our lives. I want to illustrate this to you using Peter's life, what exactly I'm talking about. In our passage in Luke, the disciples have been fishing. We just read this, Luke chapter 5. Fishing with no luck. Jesus tells them to cast their nets. They do. They bring in a great catch of fish. Peter realizes that he's in God's presence. He feels unworthy. He falls to his knees. He asks Jesus to depart. Later on in Peter's life, there's an encounter that's remarkably similar until you get to the ending of it. John 21 records what Peter was doing after Jesus was crucified. It's such a cool passage. Write that down. John 21. Write it down. Go home, read it, when we're done. So cool. John mentions that several of the disciples were together, and Peter said, I'm going fishing, right? Jesus has been crucified, right? He's in the tomb. Uh, Peter says, I'm going fishing. He was surely distraught over Jesus' death. Maybe he needed some time to think and clear his head. Maybe he wanted to feel the sense of returning to something that he knew. I mean, he was a fisherman. He was raised a fisherman. Wanted to return to something that he understood, something he was good at, and so he goes fishing, And guess what happens? He doesn't catch anything. And Jesus appears on the shore and has this conversation with Peter and the other fishermen and disciples that are with him. And they don't immediately recognize that it's Jesus, but here's how the conversation goes. Jesus is on the shore and he says, hey guys, have you caught anything? And the disciples say, no. You just hear the sadness in their voice, right? No. Like we're professional fishermen and we're out here and we haven't caught anything. And Jesus says, why don't you try to cast your net on the other side of the boat? And they do this and they bring in another huge catch of fish. In fact, John records that it was a full net. And as they start pulling in this awesome net full of fish, they realize that the person standing on the shore is Jesus. And check out what Peter does if you read it. Peter is so excited that Jesus is on the shore that he literally jumps out of the boat and swims to shore to see Jesus. Think about these two stories. You've got the disciples, fishermen, out on the boat, not catching anything. Jesus shows up, gives them a command, says, hey, do this. They do it, and they catch fish. And they're amazed at what God has done. But look at the difference in Peter. At the beginning, Peter says, man, I'm so unworthy. I shouldn't even be around you And at the end, Peter is so overjoyed to see his Savior and his friend that he can't even wait for the boat to get to shore. He has to jump out and swim to Jesus. This is that intimacy that I'm talking about. This is that greater level of intimacy. When we follow the call that God gives us, we grow in our relationship, and Jesus truly becomes our best friend. We can't wait to be in his presence. We can't wait to spend time with him. We can't wait to have conversations and to hear him when he speaks back to us. And I would, I would encourage you with this, if you're struggling with getting close to Jesus, uh, if you're struggling with, you know, the, the practical relationship part of serving Jesus, praying consistently, communicating with Jesus, if you struggle to hear God's voice or you struggle to understand when he's speaking to you or what he's saying, I would challenge you with this to start living out the call that God has placed on your life, even if you don't have it all figured out, because you're never going to have it all figured out anyways. You'll be waiting Forever. Start living out this call because as you do that, it's going to draw you to a place of greater intimacy and greater relationship with our Savior. The call draws us to that. Peter didn't have it at the beginning, but the more he started following Jesus and the more time he spent with him and the more uh, training that he got and the more ministry that he did, by the end of, of the Gospels and the end of, of the story of Jesus and the disciples, we see Peter is a completely different and changed man. Um, who can't wait to to be with his Savior. So when we embrace the call and we live it out, it draws us to a greater level of intimacy. And the last point is this, that the call draws us to a new life of service. Verse 10 records Jesus' words to Peter. He says, from now on you will be catching men. And verse 11 records that, that Peter and the other disciples left everything and they followed Jesus. This is the call. From now on you will be catching men. And I read a great quote about this. Call about this fishing idea. Uh, It says Jesus told Peter that his future business would be would not be catching fish, bringing them from life to death, but catching men, bringing them from death to life. Right? That's what you do when you fish, right? You bring it in, and the fish is alive, and you kill it because you got to eat it, right? But there's this interesting sort of uh, reversal of that when we talk about fishing in the spiritual sense, because we're bringing people, we're helping people find Jesus, so that He can bring them from death. To life. This is the call to ministry, to spread the gospel, to make disciples, to help people find Jesus so that they can be brought from death to life. We know that the Bible teaches that the penalty of sin is what? Death. But when we accept Jesus as our Savior, we're giving the gift of life. And that means a a more purposeful life here on earth, and it means eternal life when we are in God's presence uh, forever. And you know, there's something that I've noticed about fishing even though I haven't been fishing in like 18 years or something like that. I don't know however old I was. Something I've noticed about fishing, fishing is not a spectator sport, right? I mean, yeah, we have TV shows with like professional fishermen, but if you have ever watched them, it's just like watching hunting shows. They're packed with so many advertisements, and they're packed with so much of just like the pros talking to the camera. There's not usually a whole lot of actual showing of the fishing Going on, right? And when it is, it's usually just when they're pulling in the big the big fish for the day. Why? Because fishing, if you're just watching it, it's kind of boring. I mean, if you're into it, if you like fishing, it's a little exciting because, you know, you're, you're always finding, you know, new special spots to go fishing and protecting your secret spot. Um, your secrets of your trade, you know, whatever. You're trying new new gear, and you've always got that adrenaline pumping that the next the next cast is going to bring in the big one. I understand that. It's the same for me when I'm sitting in a tree stand. Always got that adrenaline going, and I'm always waiting for the big boy to pass by. But if you're just sitting there and you're watching somebody from a distance fish, it's kind of boring. It's not like watching football or basketball or hockey or baseball or whatever, where there's action and there's things happening. Uh, Fishing isn't really a spectator sport. And here's the truth for you. Christianity is not a spectator sport. I hate to break it to you. Discipleship isn't a spectator sport. Church is not a spectator society. Sometimes we view it like it is. We view it like there are just certain people that are the fishermen and everybody else just watches. But that's not really how it's supposed to work. I think about the Great Commission. Matthew 28, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, go into all the world and make disciples by baptizing people and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. I think about Acts chapter one, verse eight. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in all Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. These are commands that Jesus gave to his disciples, but it's gotta be recognized that the command and the call goes way beyond just the 12 disciples, Right? I mean, even just in a practical sense, if Jesus was only speaking to those 12 guys that were with him, 11, I guess, by, by the end of it because of Judas, if he was only speaking to those 11 guys at the end, how in the world would they be able to reach the world? How would they be able to reach everybody? They couldn't. There's, the idea of multiplication is built into it, right? The disciples reach people, And then those people tell others about Jesus. And those people tell others about Jesus. And those other people end up praying for somebody for healing. And the people get healed. And the people that get healed end up praying for somebody else. And they get healed. And those people that got healed end up praying for somebody that's going through a really difficult time. On and on and on and on and on throughout history it goes. Until we get to here. Today. Like I said, I have a lot of people that have been very important and very key in my life, in me being where I am today. Uh, and you've probably had those people as well—the people that poured into your life, the people that helped you find Jesus, the people that encourage you to stay with Jesus and help you grow in your faith. And I think the the one of the questions for us this morning is: Who are you going to help find Jesus? Because we all have a call to do it. Who are you going to help? In their their search to find Jesus who are you going to disciple who are you going to encourage who are you going to pray for healing for who are you going to be in a real sense the hands and feet of Jesus for in this world in our town, in our church, in our community the call draws us to a greater level of obedience the call draws us to a greater level of intimacy and the call draws us to a new life of service So, what am I saying? What are you you saying to me, Eric? Are you telling me that I need to be a pastor? Tell me that I need to be a missionary? Not necessarily. Maybe that's what God's calling you to do. Maybe not. As I said earlier, the Apostle Paul was a tent maker. We call him a tent maker. That is, he made tents, (laughs) obviously. It's Paul's job. He made tents, and he had partners that helped him make tents and that was his job, but his craftsman skills in making tents opened the doors for him to be able to tell other people about Jesus. It opened doors for him to make disciples. Maybe God is calling you to do something like that. You know, unless you work in a church or a Christian organization, it's probably pretty likely that you work with a lot of people that don't know Jesus. And I would say that you have probably been placed where you're at by the hand of God and the sovereignty of God and the will of God to make an impact on those people that you work with that don't know Jesus. Um, You might have customers or clients who don't know Jesus. And maybe they're going through a difficult time and they need somebody to encourage them. They need somebody to help point the way to Jesus. I have a lot of family members that aren't Christians. You probably do too. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your siblings. Maybe it's your parents or grandparents or aunts and uncles and cousins. Maybe it's your neighbor. How are you responding to the call to reach those people? Maybe you're sitting right beside somebody here this morning that is new and needs somebody that's been around a while to help disciple them, to help encourage them, to help keep them on on the path walking toward Jesus and following him. I mean, the list of possible ministries and things that you could get involved in is huge. And in a sense, I I guess I would say this, that Jesus is standing here with us today. I mean, picture Jesus being, picture a big boat up here on stage and Jesus standing in this boat. And just like Jesus called the disciples to throw out the net, and just like he said later on in the passage we read, he said, you are going to be fishers of men. You're going to bring people from death to life. You're going to help them find me so that I can bring them from death to life. Jesus and the Holy Spirit are here working this morning and they're calling you. They're calling each person. Nobody is exempt. See, that's the thing. Each one of us has a call. Each one of us has a place that God wants to use us. Each one of us has people in our life that you are uniquely placed and gifted and equipped to reach. And you can reach them a whole lot better than I can reach them. You can bring them to church. I'd love to meet them. I'd love to pray with them, preach with them. I'm sure Pastor Joe would as well, but, you know, you are uniquely gifted and equipped to reach these people because you know them. You know what's going on in their life. You know what they need, and you know how to best speak to them. But we have to be willing to respond to that call. We have to be willing to go to that place of, uh, of greater obedience, to follow the Lord. We have to be willing to follow the Lord into a new intimacy in our relationship and allow him to speak to us and guide us. And we have to be willing to dedicate our lives to that service. And the closing questions for us to consider is this, Jesus is standing here and he's calling us. How are we going to respond? How are we going to respond to the call? Not just in a corporate sense, how are we as a church body going to respond? How are you going to respond to the things that God is calling you to and the things that God is speaking to you? Would you stand with me this morning as we close this, uh, Larry and, and the guys are gonna come and they're gonna uh, sing and play for us. Um, I'm having you stand because I'm gonna ask for uh, maybe some people, if if you're uh, led, to, to come forward this morning and standing helps people get <laughs> out of their pews. Um, but uh, let's just take a few moments before we do any of that to to just pray this morning. Father God, we're so thankful for your word. God, we're thankful for the salvation that we have, that you have so graciously given to us, Lord, that we can call on your name and we can uh, ask for forgiveness, Lord, and we can be saved. We're so thankful, Lord. God, I pray that in the next few moments as we work toward concluding this service, God, that you would move among us, Holy Spirit, that you would be welcome to speak to our hearts and uh, to, to begin works in our hearts and in our lives, God, to respond to this call. Lord, move among us and speak to us today. Thank you, Lord. While well, you have your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm just going to talk to you for a few minutes. I want to make two calls this morning, two calls for, for response. The first one is this, is, is simply a call for salvation. We talk about this call to ministry. The truth is that Jesus calls in different different progressions and the first call that we have to respond to is the call to salvation and if you're here today and you've heard me talk about things like Jesus being our Savior Jesus being our Lord life forgiveness of sins and you don't know in your heart that you have that you don't know in your heart that Jesus is your Savior you don't know in your heart that um, you know where you will spend eternity you haven't accepted Jesus into your life I would love to talk to you this morning, give you a little more guidance on that. I'd love to pray for you. So if you find yourself in that position, I'll ask for you to come uh, forward. I'm going to be up here on the floor in just a minute. Um, and, and I, like I said, I'd love to talk with you and pray with you. Secondly is this. Is I'm, it's a call to respond. For those of us that feel like God is calling us to, to something. As I said, God's calling us. A couple weeks ago, we had people up here at the altar that were responding to God's call. Um, maybe the God has been calling you to something, and you've been, you've done pretty well in following it. And this message is just an encouragement for you to continue to move forward in the things that God has been placing on your heart and the call that God has given you. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been fighting that call for one reason or another. And you've been like like Peter could have been. And you've said, God, this is crazy. God, I'm not going to do it. God, I'm not qualified. I can't. Whatever. Maybe you find yourself in that place. I want to challenge you to take uh, a few steps out of your pew and come forward. Not because there's anything magical about this space up here. But because it's symbolic of you doing what the disciples did. Leaving their nets, leaving everything behind, and following Jesus in this call that He's given them. And of course, you know, I can pray for you. Pastor Joe can pray for you. Whoever else is up here can pray for you if you would like that. But I want you to take that step just as symbolic between you and the Lord, if nothing else, that you are going to respond to the call that He's given you. That you're not going to let your past experiences or your fear about what's going to happen... Uh, keep you from following the Lord, but you're going to respond with your full heart and with your full life to following Him into this new place that He's calling you to. So I'm going to have another prayer real quick and the guys are going to sing and if if that's you, if you fit into one of those places, please come up here Uh, like I said, I'd love to talk to you, I'd love to see you respond to the Lord. God wants to talk to you more than anything. God wants to talk to you and if you take the steps to respond to His voice He'll talk to you, He'll save you He'll give you encouragement. He'll give you strength. He'll give you empowerment to live out this call and to change your life. Father, move among us today, God. Speak to us in these next few moments through worship, through singing, through our response. God, you move and you be glorified today.